listening to a church in Corinth. I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Thanks, Alan. Let's just pray for Roger. Father God, we thank you for our friend and our brother. And thank you for his um, being with us this past week and for his love for you and for his love for sharing your word with everyone. And uh, we pray for him now. We thank you for him. And we ask, Lord, that you'd fill him afresh with your Holy Spirit. I know he's tired after this week, and I know he's got another busy week coming. But we pray, Lord, your blessing upon him now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Roger. Great. So can we just keep the reading up, and particularly verses 3 and 4, because they're the verses I want to focus on tonight. Now, can I just, um, again, say... Uh, how much we've enjoyed it. We sent Warren back uh, this afternoon with Paul because uh, now it sounds like we're doing this sort of thing all the time. We're not. But tomorrow we've got to go to Norfolk. Um, and so he's got to come back from York. And we're going to Norfolk to do another day in a parish, a group of Anglican parishes. So it'd be very different from here to be sort of rural Anglican. You know. Do you know what? Ru- I'm sure you know what. <laughs> So we'll be doing that, and it's, uh, it's my wife's brother uh, looks after some parishes in the, the depths of the, the Norfolk, uh, Suffolk countryside. And uh, can I just say, we've really, really enjoyed this week, and uh, I'd like to thank you for working so hard, and I think we're going back very inspired by lots of things. I, I, I'm very inspired by the fact that you're doing, 50, you're doing your 50th ALF course, because I thought I'd led a lot of ALF courses, I've done about... 30 or something, but, uh, oh, I can't compare, you know. So I'm, re- I'm really inspired by that. I, th- I think you've done more than Nicky Gumbel, actually, haven't you? <laughs> no, 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 maybe not, but I sure, I'm sure after Nicky it'll be you. And um, so, so I, I'm really encouraged by that. And another thing that really excites me about this church is the way you all work together. I think that's been absolutely wonderful. So watching you all getting the chairs out. I know it must be a real drag to do that every Sunday, but, it, you know, you're all... It's, somebody once said to me, if you're going to grow a church, you have to have a core, and I can see you've got a great core here. Then you've got to have a crew, and it, the crew make things happen. And I think one of the things that I've really been impressed by is the crew here and the way you all work together. And then you've got to have a crowd, and uh, you've got a crowd, and uh, that's... so. So thank you for inspiring us, and it's great. I see Ed each, well, most weeks we pray together with other clergy in this area, 
And we're praying, actually, and I know you are praying here as well, we're praying for revival in the Cotswolds. And another prayer meeting is starting up down in Whitney. So Whitney, Burford, the clergy, the leaders are getting together uh, right across. This isn't just Anglicans, but it's all uh, to pray for God to really pour out his spirit on the whole area of the Cotswolds. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we saw... I mean, don't we long for a revival? I long for a revival. And, and actually, we all know, I mean, there's been a, this is a fantastic story here, but we long for even more, don't we? Because there are so many hundreds and hundreds of people, thousands of people we're not touching, and we've got to reach them with the gospel. So we can't, we can't sit still and think, oh, yes, well, we've done well, because there's so much more, so many more people. And we've got, we're in Chipping Norton, and great things are happening in Chipping Norton, in a, a, a church, we're in St. Mary's, and we're seeing the groups growing. So we started with eight groups a year ago, small house groups. We've now got 13, and our goal is to have 15 at the end of the year, and then we want to double those to 30, etc. So we're going to grow it through relationships, because that's what everybody's hungry for. They're hungry for relationships. They're not... They're looking for relationships, aren't they? So... Okay, well, let's, uh, let's have a look at... This is one of my favorite passages um, in the New Testament. Uh, and so I really just want to teach it. And, uh, and then at the end, I'll, I'll have a prayer. And, um, and then, you know, if you want to come and chat, you can. So, um, okay, so, so what I want to talk about uh, tonight is keeping the main thing the main thing. And uh, this was... a. a uh, a phrase that a, a businessman, an American businessman called Stephen Covey uh, coined. And uh, he actually died in 2012. And if your business is going to grow, you have to keep the main thing the main thing. Uh, don't get deflected onto other things. You've got to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. Now, I don't know how many of you have read Callum Brown's book, The Death of Christian Britain. I, I read it, or read parts of it recently. And the book is uh, about the death of Christian Britain. And in the book, he, Callum Brown writes this. He says, The demise of the nation's core religious identity, it took, and that's what the book's about, it took several centuries in what the historians call the Dark Ages, to convert Britain to Christianity. But it has taken less than 40 years for the country to forsake it. Really, in the last 40 years, we have seen our nation turn its back on Christianity. Uh, I mean, I was around in the 60s, you know, and uh, the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and the so I have seen in my lifetime a huge change uh, in this country. And we are, we are witnessing, I was watching a program on uh, the iPlayer yesterday about the Beatles and the early days, of because I grew up with the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, and, and uh, I was just watching what was going on then in the country. And it's very interesting to see where we are now, 40 years on from that. And uh, we all know the headlines Dramatic decline in church attendance. And as you probably know, church attendance figures have over the last two decades, particularly 
They've gone down and down. Actually, they've leveled out. Uh, and they've started to grow very slightly. So the Church of England, which is the church I tend to know best, while 60% of Church of England's are declining, that's a lot, 20% are holding steady, and 20% are growing very, very rapidly. So I was on a mission quite recently with Warren and uh, Paul and a bunch of others on a housing estate in Scarborough, very, very poor housing estate, which you don't normally see when you go to Scarborough. That church in the last three years has grown by 300%. There were over 70 people there. This is a very poor uh, area with lots of broken people. And um, there's a village quite near here where there's a revival going on. It's a little village called Swinbrook. Have you heard of Swinbrook? It's near Burford. And a year ago, they had about, it's like the early days of this church, they had about six people in the congregation. And a friend of mine, a chap called Alex Ross, who's led churches all over England, um, he went with 15 people from Burford and they transplanted into the church. You cannot get in there now. I've been there three or four times, and it's absolutely rammed with people. And uh, so, very exciting. That is really exciting to see. And that's grown out of 20 years of strong evangelical ministry in Burford. But uh, we're, we're looking at some other places around Chipping Norton where we could perhaps do the same thing. So, um, so whilst we're seeing... Uh, Britain as a whole, turning its back and attempting to shut God out, we see the awful, terrible results. Now, I'm just going to remind you of some of the things that are happening in our society. Every day, 312 couples get divorced. And just think of the pain of that. Um, Someone calls the Samaritans every five seconds. The the pornographic industry in the UK is now worth over one billion annually. Uh, There are 30,000 clergy in the UK of all types, of all different denominations, whilst there are over 80,000 witches and fortune tellers. And uh, Britain is not the only nation that is in trouble. Uh, there are many other nations in trouble. I've just been in Brazil for the last month with my son and his wife who work in, in downtown Rio. Thousands and thousands of Venezuelans in, in Brazil. Thousands of them. My son put uh, one family up who had nowhere to live. The Yemen, the, the South, uh, the, the Sudan. And... Uh, As well as nations, we also all go through times of trouble in our own lives. So, I mean, we don't don't all know each other that well, but I'm sure there are people here tonight who are going through troubles with with your health, uh, troubles in marriage, in family relationships, or lack of relationships, jobs, difficulties with your job, or lack of a job. Or there might be some sin or temptation or addiction 
or fear or loneliness that, that you struggle with uh, quietly. And uh, discouragement and debt. Uh, we've just started a cap work going in, and it's amazing what we're dis- uncovering in Chipping Norton. You know, we had, we had one lady who came to live, live with us recently who was living in her car. In Chipping Norton, you know, it's really... And you start to dig up uh, need once you start uh, engaging with it. So the question is, is, is how do we keep the main thing the main thing and what is the main thing? Now, if you'd like to look at the screen, I want to suggest that the main thing is verses 3 and 4, where Paul says this, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. Now, um, you probably know the context. Paul is in Corinth. He's been preaching in Athens. He's been preaching at the Areopagus. Uh, and he's come to Corinth, and he's about to tell them of an entirely new faith. They've never heard of Christianity. They've never heard of it. And it's a, a big city, a bustling seaport, uh, well known for its immorality. And, um, uh, and Paul had written earlier in, in the letter that he'd come to, to them in weakness and trembling. Now, I'm, I do a lot, well, I don't do so much, but I've done a lot of preaching over the, the years. Um, and sometimes I go to some places and I am in absolute terror. Uh, let me tell you, uh, when my son, Tom, who many of you heard here the other night, when he was passing out of the, uh, at the Royal Marines, uh, they, they have a, what's called a father's and son's event. So all the Marines that are going to pass out invite their dads and you pass the port around the table, and they always invite a, a speaker. And in the group, do you all follow, do you know David Suchet, the, the Poirot? And uh, Poirot's son was in the same group with Tom. He was called Rob Suchet, and he's a great friend of, of Tom's. And then I get a, an email from the head of the Marines in Limpston, Dear Reverend Simpson, we'd like you to speak to all the Marines, to the fathers and their sons. I am absolutely terrified, uh, partly because it's a bunch of Marines, even though my son's a Marine. uh, You've only got to look at a few of them and you'd be terrified. And um, not only that, but um, I was really worried that I'd embarrass Tom. I think that was my greatest fear. But I wanted to talk about Jesus Christ. And I remember working out on the train, what I was going to try and talk to them about. So I was picking up various stories that I thought which were gradually going to get more and more Jesus-centered by the end. And, uh, but I remember going and feeling absolutely full of fear and trembling. So when Paul says that, I kind of, and most of us who are preachers will know that feeling. So he says that uh, he arrived in, he came to them in weakness and trembling. He wasn't a great orator, and, uh, and then what does he tell them as of first importance? So there are two great facts, two foundational truths which he delivers to them. Have a look again at the text. The first one, what does he pass on to them as of first importance? First, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. So five words, Christ died 
for our sins and that Christ was raised on the third day. And the interesting thing is that these two facts, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Paul preached everywhere. Wherever he went, he always focused on the death and resurrection of Christ. So, for example, if you look when he's preaching in Ephesus, what does he tell them? He tells them about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When he's in Thessalonica, what does he tell them? That Christ died for their sins, that Christ was raised. When he's in Athens, what does he tell them? Christ died for your sins, and Christ was raised. Philippi, Rome. So wherever he went, whenever he planted churches, he preached that Christ had died and that Christ had risen. Because, he said, these two facts were of first importance. There it is in our text. Now, first of all, he told them about the death of Jesus Christ. Now, I find it very interesting that the apostle does not begin with the life of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm sure he did tell them about the life of Jesus Christ, but he actually focuses on the death of Jesus Christ. And he could have told them about the matchless life of Jesus or the miracles of Jesus, his healings, his raising of people from the dead, or his power over evil, casting out demons. But he focuses instead on the death of Jesus Christ. Now, he probably reminded them, they'd never heard, most of them had never heard about Jesus, he probably reminded them of the awful events surrounding the cross, the arrest, the trial at night, which was illegal, the beating, you know, the terrible beating that Jesus went through at the trial, the false accusations, the flogging when, he's, when he was tied to a post and flogged by a Roman centurion, ripping, I don't know how many of you saw the film, The Mission, you know, uh, when they, The Passion, when they whipped him, you know, uh, flog, flogging him, pouring, pulling out his, his flesh from, from his back. Then the humiliation in front of the guard, the Praetorium Garden, and the crown of thorns, and the crucifixion at, starting at nine and going on until three o'clock, and that awful darkness. I'm sure he told them about that. And the cry of dereliction, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But these five words summarize why they were so important. And he says there, Christ died for our sins. In other words, the reason it was of first importance was because Christ died for us. He died instead of us in, his, in our place. Now, just before we went off to Brazil, I got a phone call from the Archbishop of York saying, or his chief of staff, Roger, we want you to meet somebody who I think you might be able to... I, I was going to bring him with me, but I'll tell you about him if you want to. I want you to he said, I want you to meet this chap. He was a soldier... And uh, he'd been with the SAS, and he was a sniper with the SAS. So he could kill a man at, um, well, he could kill somebody at a thousand feet. It was a very, very good shot. And uh, this chap, uh, he was from Liverpool, lived a very rough life. He'd been thrown out of the army once. A lot of violence and anger in him, which went back to his, his background and... Uh, He'd been abused by his stepfather. And, uh, and, then, and then he married a Christian girl, and 
there's, a, there's an organization which is about the most unthreatening organization in the Church of England called the Mother's Union. Have you heard about the Mother's Union? So I said to him, well, how did you become a Christian? He said, well, you're not going to believe this, but it was on a Mother's Union house party. I said, a Mother's Union house party, and you came to Christ. What happened? So he described it to me. He he, he'd gone on holiday with his wife. And they had very little money. He'd left the army by then. And um, the, they were all invited into the chapel. So he went rather reluctantly into the chapel. And then there was an invitation. They were all given a stone. And he was given a, a stone about, you know, just a little stone. And they were in which the, the person leading it said represents your life. And they were encouraged to bring the stone with all their struggles and brokenness and they were to bring it to the cross and to leave it at the foot of the cross. And he decided while he was sitting there, even though he was an agnostic, he decided to do this. And then he said this, he said, I got up, this big tough guy, a like, bit like Warren but not quite as big as Warren, He could not lift the stone. He couldn't lift it. It was too heavy, even though it was tiny. And he said, I staggered with this stone, which represented his life, all the pain and the brokenness and anger in his life. And eventually he dropped the stone at the foot of the cross. And he said, as I did that, it was like I suddenly was released from this stuff that he'd been carrying, or, or, and he became a Christian. It was, amazing. it was an amazing story. So he's written a book about it called One Shot, One Kill. One message, I think it is. Be, you, you could probably get him here if you... Uh, it's a very interesting story. So Paul told them that Jesus had died for their sins. Secondly, he told them about the resurrection of of Christ, that he not only died, but that he was raised on the third day. And uh, if you go through the New Testament, there's a beautiful simplicity in the way that it talks about the resurrection, the, the fact that Jesus was dead when they took him off the, to- off the cross, the fact that he, he was buried in an empty tomb, uh, the fact that the tomb was empty, and then the, the, they went on the Sunday morning, a group of women, and they found the bandages and the body had re- had had risen, and then the appearances that Jesus makes. And and the preaching of these two facts all over the ancient world actually transformed the ancient world. So churches were planted, gladiators stopped fighting in the rings, uh, hospitals were started, women and children were honored, humility became a virtue. Now, why are these two facts so important today. Now, I've had the privilege of working in different places. I started in London, then I went to Edinburgh, and then I went to Vancouver, and then I finished up in York before coming down to Chipping Norton. And I've found that wherever I've gone, people actually underneath are the same. People have the same common needs. And, and it's only the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that can meet these needs that people have. So what are these needs? So I just want to finish with this. 
the three things that I notice about the human condition. The first thing is, I find that most people struggle with an inward sense of failure. And uh, I, I find this common for everyone. That's certainly true of me. I struggle with feelings of failure in my own life. And I'm sure if you were honest with me, you would also agree. That's something that you too struggle with. Um, I mean, the failure, it can take lots of forms. So, for example, there's this sense of failure which many, many people have about their life and that all that they'd hoped to achieve in their life has not been what they've actually achieved. I remember my father, who was a, a pilot, he was a test pilot and then an airline pilot. He often used to use the word, he wasn't a Christian till just before he died, he opened his life to Christ. He used to use the words, if only, if only I hadn't done that. And, and, and that's, or if only we'd done that, he'd say. And um, most of us, if we're honest, we, we not only, we fail to come up to the standards that we even set ourselves. Never mind God's standards. We don't fulfill the standards that, that we set ourselves. And um, the Bible calls this sense of failure sin. So I sin when I do those things which I shouldn't do, which actually then lead me to feel shame and guilt. And that's something that we all struggle with. We all do things which we know we shouldn't. And then we struggle with this shame and guilt inside. Or I, I sin when, uh, when I don't do the things that I know I should do. That also leads to a sense of failure. So I sin when I break God's laws, when I'm selfish, when I'm lazy, when I'm greedy. That's a problem for me. When I'm lustful or proud, or I, I can sin in my thoughts as well as in my actions. So everybody needs forgiveness. We all need forgiveness. We need someone to forgive us. And, and that's why the death of Christ is so important. Because only Jesus Christ can forgive us. As the rapper Lee Cray Moore said, I'm not a Christian because I'm strong and have it all together. I'm a Christian because I'm weak and I admit that I need a saviour. So that's the first thing, an inward sense of failure. Secondly, the emptiness of life without God. And I've often quoted Freddie Mercury, who, who was, um, they've just produced a film about him, um, he was the lead singer of Queen. He died in 1991 of AIDS. And he said in an interview, he said, you can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man. And he went on to say in the interview, success, world idolization, and millions of pounds have prevented me from having the one thing we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship. He talked about how empty and lonely he felt and there's only one relationship that is completely loving and ongoing for which we were created, and that is with God who made us. Now, because of Jesus Christ and because of his death and resurrection, Jesus offers us that relationship. He offers us a loving, ongoing relationship 
with our Heavenly Father. And when we find Christ, we find an answer to that inner loneliness and restlessness. And, and the other thing that I've noticed is the, with everybody is the inevitability of death. We're all going to die. And as you get older, you become more aware of the fact that it's getting nearer. You don't think about it when you're young. Do you know, every year, 600,000 people in Britain die. And Bernard Shaw said that death is the ultimate statistic. One out of one dies. One man in York, he, he, he was getting older, and he said, Roger, I feel I'm moving to the front of the queue. And as you get older, you do feel that. You begin to think, I'm getting nearer the front of the queue. So what is going to happen to us when we die? Uh, Woody Allen once said, it's not that I'm afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. And somebody once described it to, to me like this. Imagine when you die. Imagine when, you, when you're born, you have a little tape put onto the back of your neck which records all your thoughts and all your words and all your actions. And it plays for the... 70 or 80 years that you live, and then eventually you die, and the little tape is taken off your neck, and you, you're in this great big hall, and there's a screen, and it's put into a projector, and your life is beamed up, and all the people that you have known in your life are gathered to come and watch this picture of your life. All your secret thoughts, all your words and all your actions. And uh, how would you feel about that? Well, I can tell you, I wouldn't even want you to know some of the things I've thought. This w- I'm a clergyman. I, you know, I'm, <laughs> I've been following Christ a long time, but I still think things which I know are unworthy of God. And imagine how, the, just imagine the shame and the guilt that we would feel if people could see right into our hearts and know what we're like on the inside. But C.S. Lewis wrote, he said this, he said, forgiveness is like a tape recording of your life wiped clean. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful if it was possible for us to have the whole of our life wiped clean by Jesus Christ? And that's the That's the wonderful promise of the gospel because Christ died for our sins and because he rose on the third day. We can be absolutely, completely forgiven and washed clean. It's a bit like, I was trying to think of another illustration, a bit like, you know, when you take an exam. And I remember when I, so I did all my exams at school. Then I went to university, took a whole lot more exams. Then I went off to teacher training college, did some more exams. Then I went to theological college and I had to do some more exams. So I, was, I seemed to be doing exams until I was about, I don't know, 27, 28. And then I remember when I, I had done my last exam. I thought, this is it. I don't have to do any more exams. But I'd still have this dream where I'd go into a hall and, to, and I'd sit down and I'd look at the exam paper and I'd think, help help, I can't answer any of these questions. And then I would wake up and I had that wonderful, it's okay, you've done all your exams, it's finished. 
Well, it's a bit like that with God. Because of Christ, because of his death on the cross, it, it means that it's paid for. Everything is paid for. We're forgiven. We're completely forgiven and accepted by God. Now, there are lots of people in our culture who don't know that, and we want them to know it. So, how are we going to keep the main... What is the main thing? The main thing is that Christ died and that he rose again. And that we, we, we need to keep coming back to that again and again. We need to keep coming back to it in our own lives. We need to keep the cross and the resurrection central in our own experience. So I'm just going to um, say a prayer. Let's just bow our heads. And um, uh, there might be someone here who's, who's listening and something that's been said just resonates with you. Maybe it's this issue of forgiveness. Or maybe it's this question of the fact that one day we're going to die and death is something that you think about or worry about. Or it might be that you just feel that your life is empty or you're struggling with failure. Well, Jesus Christ encourages us to come to him and to trust him. And uh, because he died for us, when he said on the cross, it is finished, that is exactly what, what's happened. It is finished. The work of salvation, the work of forgiveness is finished. He's done everything that is necessary for it to be given to us. So if you've never put your trust, put your faith in Christ, I'd like to encourage you to do that. So I'm just going to say a, a simple prayer that I, I prayed many years ago where I acknowledge this need that I have for forgiveness and I reach out and I ask him for it. And if you've not done this and you'd like to do this, then you can pray with me. So I want you to try and, um, if you can, imagine Jesus uh, dying on the cross in your place. And you can put on him those things that you feel sad about, that you feel guilty about, or shame, that you feel shame about. You can put them onto him. He's taken everything, everything that leads to brokenness in our life. Just give them to him. And then I want you to think of him alive, risen, risen from the dead, and with his uh, arms outstretched and um, gloriously alive and wanting to come and live by his Holy Spirit in our life to give us the power and freedom and hope and the new life that he, he has purchased for us. And uh, he, he wants you to have that and to enjoy that. So here's a, here's a prayer. It's very similar to the prayer I prayed a long time ago when I was a, a student at London University. Lord Jesus, I want to know you personally. 
I'm sorry for going my own way instead of your way. Thank you for dying on the cross to forgive my sin. Please come and take first place in my life and make me the person you want me to be. How can you say this to God and mean it? If you've prayed that with me, Jesus will come into your life as he promised. And he'll begin to change you. So Lord, I pray for any tonight who've reached out in simple trust to you. And I pray that they will know that they've been forgiven and accepted by you. And that you'll help us to help them grow in the weeks and months to come. Thank you for the great transformation in Paul's life and in Warren's life just a few years ago and how you've changed them radically. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you will change us too, transform us uh, with your love and by your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Roger. And if you'd like to speak to Roger afterwards, he's going to be around for a few minutes. Um, we're going to close with a final song, and uh, Henry and Rob are going to lead us. This is one that we can all uh, join in with. Stand. I know we haven't stood for a while. Let's stand and we'll sing our final song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. But now I'm found Was blind But now I see It was grace That taught My heart To feel And grace My fears Really
sing that song, it reminds us of the main thing, that you, Lord Jesus, came to save us, to rescue us. You died for us. Death couldn't hold you. You rose from the grave. You are alive. You're coming again, and we're ready and waiting for you. But uh, in the time you give us, we want many others to come 